We're in John 20. You notice we're moving through these chapters a little faster. And uh, sort of like kinetic energy, the further we get closer to the end, the faster it starts running. But uh, we're going to uh, get to go in there. We're in 20. Um, I appreciate Chris uh, and his prayer and all that. And I, I'm always reminded, I just want to remind you, uh, there are a couple of things we're gonna try, I'm going to try to do a little bit different today. Uh, at the end, uh, I'm going to try to stop about 10, five after. I want you to be thinking about uh, maybe a question you have or a way that we could apply this. So I had some time off, you know, for a week or so to think, which is unusual for college professors. Uh, really, no kidding. We don't have much time to think. Uh, for you to be thinking about what are some questions that may be lingering out there in this lesson uh, that uh, haven't been dealt with or some application of how we might apply what we're learning. You know, it's, it's ridiculous to me to think to learn stuff and then not say, okay, how can we apply this or use this uh, during the week? So we'll do that. The other thing is I always want to remind you as we kind of start up, <clears throat> we're going to finish John here, I think, here in a couple of more weeks. Um, I appreciate uh, you being here and all, but I just want to remind you that uh, real teaching occurs, and this is why I want you to be involved more and for us to try to find a way to make this room a little warmer and a little more opportunity. But, but real teaching happens when you hear another voice. just want you to think about that. Real teaching happens when you hear another voice, not mine, whose his voice, right? That's when the real teaching begins to happen, isn't it? Not when you just hear me, if I get to go in, but that you hear another voice. And that's the voice of God as he speaks to you and, and communicates to you, uh, particularly uh, where you are in your particular situation. So uh, I kind of want to kind of keep redoing that. So I want you to be thinking now, what you might want to do is this as well. I've also got the uh, Socrative uh, 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 software going this morning. Uh, this is a way for you to communicate with me, whether it is a question that you think I haven't covered well enough or something uh, you want a little more clarification. Go to, you know, isn't it funny? Google is now a verb right? <laughs> now you Google something. Remember, remember when Xerox was a noun? It's the name of a company, wasn't it? Then what? Go Xerox that for me. That's funny what we do with our language that Google is now a verb. So if you choose to, you can Google this Socrative.com, just Socrative, S-O-C-R-A-T-I-V-E.com. And uh, when you get there, there's a student login uh, doesn't require any information, doesn't require any, uh, you don't have to join anything or, you know, get ads. It says student login, and then you just put the room number 50168, 50168, and that'll allow you, there's just two questions uh, that are there if you choose to answer them. One of them is like, uh, I need more clarification on this point, you know. Sometimes I get in a hurry and maybe run over something, and you'd say, well, I wish Cliff would talk about this more. And other people are saying, I wish Cliff would talk less, right? That'll get to the back here in a minute. Um, uh, but you may want to, and I'll, I'll look at this, and as we kind of uh, go through the class, I'll try to, try to uh, make account for that. So anyway, if you, you might want to do that. So John 20, uh, it's amazing. Uh, I said to you the other day that uh, we, we got to this place uh, right at Easter. I really didn't have that all lined out but it's the way it worked out. And so today, I want to ask you to consider with me uh, as we look at now after Easter, you know, it was pretty, pretty great Easter around here, wasn't it? How many services, did you, you know how many we had? 12, you know, I, I, I said to Marty the other day on Wednesday when I saw him, did you just wake up, you know, from all of those services? So it was a great Easter and like that and wonderful. And I remember a conversation one time at the barbershop. I'm a guy, I don't go to the hairstylist. I go to the barbershop, right? 
And I'm sitting there and reading Sports Illustrated or something, and um, there's, a, there's an evangelist. I'm not making this up. There's an evangelist getting his hair cut, and he's got the evangelist haircut. You know, you know, you know one of those? I could have never been an evangelist. I don't have the hair for it. And um, I mean, he's got the haircut. And he's uh, uh, talking to his barber, who's a friend of mine. And uh, this guy's cutting his hair and just going along, you know, and, and kind of making small talk. And he said to him finally, he said, you know, I've often wondered why we have church on Sunday. You know, why do we do that instead of the Sabbath, you know, because of the Bible and like that. And I'm just sitting there minding my own business. You know, I'm, I'm not wanting to get involved in this necessarily. <laughs> I could be drug into it, but <laughs> under certain circumstances. And I'm just listening. And it, it, it shocked me because this evangelist uh, said to my friend, what are you doing asking questions like that? Why, why do you even want that kind of information? What, what do you, and he really kind of got after him. And so my friend, Dwayne, just kind of, okay. So uh, when he got through and had his haircut done, I think he paid for it. I'm not, I don't remember. <laughs> um, maybe a charitable contribution. But uh, when he left, I went to my friend and I said, um, you know why he didn't answer you on that, right? He goes, no, I don't. I said, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. And I just want to remind you that one of the reasons we meet on Sunday is because on a Sunday morning, something happened <laughs> 2,000 years ago that reframed, if you will, these Jewish men and people that recalibrated uh, their lives. And they called Sunday the Lord's Day. And every Sunday, in some measure or another, needs to be a day in which we either remember or recall or rejoice in the resurrection. It's not just a day off. It's not just a day among days. It's the Lord's day. And I'm, I'm always interested. I, probably all of you know that. I, you, know, you know that. And, but it could be that it, some, uh, maybe somebody doesn't. But I just think it's important as we, we kind of consider this. So I want to look at this today under this idea, adding up the results of the resurrection adding up the results of the resurrection. That's what we're going to be looking at today, just a few, uh, just a few ideas. Um, and when I think about this, I'm always trying to think, okay, how, how does this apply to our life? Anybody do any adding this past week? Yeah, for like Tuesday. <laughs> Anybody do any adding on that? Um, I, you know, I, I always laugh when my students uh, talk to me about taxes, when they talk about a refund, I always say, what's that? Right? Yeah. And, uh, with no kids, at least that we can legally adopt, uh, I wait till the last minute to add everything up, but you know, the States added a new little thing in the state taxes that just a few years ago, I kind of noticed, I, I hope I'm not giving you information you didn't notice, but online purchases, how that they have a little chart there for you that if you made online purchases, how that you can identify uh, how much you owe the state in taxes that would have been paid. I, some of the looks on your faces are like, you're going to have to file an amended return. <laughs> or you already know this and you're thinking, well, Cliff, everybody knows this. Anyway, I remember uh, the other day uh, having this long list. We, I buy a few books every once in a while from Amazon. And so I write all these down and I just said to Becky, add them up. And she goes, what's this? I said, we got to quit buying books. <laughs> we got to quit buying so many books. But we had to add all that up to figure out what we owe 
be a good, responsible citizen. You know, when I think about this event of the resurrection and not just remember it last week, not just talk about it once a year, or, I'm not saying we do, but do that. But, but if we add up, if you will, what are some of the results of it? What are some of the consequences of it that are beyond, okay, Jesus has risen from the dead. I'd like for us to look at that. So in John 20, I'm going to start reading this uh, real quick. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we, I, I think that, that pronoun there is important. I, I hope it's in your text. Just, you might want to underline, we're going to look at that in a second. But, and, and we do not know where they've taken him. So Peter and the other disciples went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two others were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples who had first come to the tomb also entered and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting at one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And when they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren. And say to them, I ascend to the Father and your Father, my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So when it was evening on the same day, the first day of the week, when the disciples were behind shut doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. Now, I want to look at this here under several topics or headings here and looking at this, but I want to give you a little context. I think I have that on your uh, handout there. 
And uh, I just want to uh, do a couple things here because there's a lot of texture here. Mary comes on the first day of the week. It's still dark. Uh, she's at the tomb. And I just want to not assume too many things here. Um, one of the things in this context of this, when she shows up at the tomb, if you will, uh, that uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. I know I've talked to people before that have questions or concerns about the allegation, if you will, that uh, Jesus was in the grave for three days. Anybody ever heard this? That there was some concern that Jesus wasn't in the grave three days. It's Friday and Saturday, Sunday. I just want to hit this quick because part of that comes from misunderstanding or not knowing how Jews count days, okay? So I'm just going to walk you through this real quick. Remember, Jesus dies on the cross about three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, right? The, the Jewish leaders go to Pilate and say to him, you got to get him off the cross because the Sabbath is going to begin at Friday night at what? Sundown. So what we've got here is the day before Passover that Jesus has died and before sundown, they get him into the tomb, okay? In the Jewish mind, that's the first day. The second day that he's in the tomb begins at Friday night at sundown. Why? That's when the Jewish day begins. So at Friday night from sundown until just before sundown on Saturday is day two. Okay? Then the third day begins Saturday night at, at, at sundown. So that any time after Saturday night at sundown, Jesus can be raised from the dead and be in the grave three days. Does that make sense? It has to do with everything with how days are calculated by the Jewish calendar. I've just met people. I don't, maybe everybody knows that in here. I just don't want to assume it. And I want to give you some evidence, some information that if somebody contests that someday with you and says, hey, Jesus wasn't in the grave two, three days. He's only there like a day and a half. No, you're counting it as if you were an American, you know, and uh, it was uh, calculated on that. The other thing is this, the importance of three days, the importance of three days. And this is, again, the context here uh, in Jewish teaching and, and theology. There are several things about the third day. One is, and you can write these down real quick in Genesis 22, four in Genesis 22, four, it was on the third day that Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees Mount Moriah. Remember he's taking Isaac to sacrifice him? It's on the third day that he lifts up his eyes and sees Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is what we understand as Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. On that Temple Mount is what Mount Moriah was. So is on that third day. That, that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, in in uh, Jesus' own words, uh, how long was Jonah in the fish? Three days in the belly of the whale, he says. Um, there's another teaching in Judaism, this, that no one is dead until three days. It is taught that the spirit of the person literally hovers around the body after it dies or the body dies. It literally hovers for three days and only on the third day does that spirit finally leave and go back to God. The, the idea here is that Jesus is really dead, <laughs> okay? He's really dead. 
that the idea here of this uh, understanding of this hovering for three days that Jesus really did die. Uh, there's a couple other things here, and I, and I don't want to belabor this, but I, you know, my, my tendency is to, uh, to, I just want to make sure I'm not covered. Some of the, the accounts of the resurrection are a bit different. You ever notice that in the Gospels? They're a little different, you know, and that, that shakes people up. Uh, let, let me suggest to you why I said to you in, chap, in verse 2, um, in Matthew, it's Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of John, right, that are going to the tomb with spices and early in John, it's just Mary, right? And people say, oh, see. But, but I notice here, when Mary reports that they've taken the body, what does she say there in verse 2? Who, who doesn't know? We. Well, there's more than Mary here, right? So, so you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a subtle difference here, uh, but there is a difference. Uh, th- th- there's other substantive matters. Uh, some of the Gospels report uh, that there's one angel, and others report there are two. Uh, as, as, as we read history, we read it a bit differently than, than ancient people do. They're not so concerned with all the details. They're concerned with the basic, here, here's the idea. You know, you get hung up on one angel or two. Here's the big story. Dead guy is alive, <laughs> right? That's the big story. Not how many angels, but a guy who was dead is now alive. And so the, these features, if you will, are this, and I've told you this before, but it's the nature of the Bible to not be just a biography or a journal. There's not somebody following Jesus around with a notepad just trying to write all this stuff down. What they're trying to do is to communicate the basic truth of what's happened here. And so what is the basic truth? So let's add it up. Here it is. Number one, consolation in the midst of this terrible grief. We read that, you you can see that, where that Mary is distraught, filled with pathos, if you will, and feeling. Here she is by her, with with Mary, the mother of John. Here here they are early in the morning. You have to wonder about the the pain and the sorrow they feel. Here's two women going to a tomb uh, that has a huge rock in front of it that there's no way they can move. But it's their love for Jesus, their deep grief, their deep love for him that causes them to go. But when we look at this, we see consolation. Notice here, whenever, uh, as you read through it here, when Jesus says, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Notice it says she didn't recognize him, did she? Why is that? You have an idea? Why do you think that whenever she's there in the garden, I could come up here and call on you. No. Why is it she doesn't recognize him? Huh? Okay, she looked, but she didn't see. Why is it she looked, but didn't see? She, okay, not expecting to see him. There is some like that. I remember I was walking in MD Anderson Hospital years ago in Houston. I was from out of town. And I walked right by a guy I knew very well and then went, wait a minute. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see them. Expectation has something to do with it. What else? Why, why is it she didn't see him? Huh? The grief. The sense of grief. The, the sense of sorrow. Uh, you know, there's some research that indicates uh, that whenever people experience deep, profound grief or depression, that things begin to happen in the brain. You know, we often think everything in the world spiritual. 
You know, if people are having grief or depression, we say it's all, no, it's not. It, it, it's physical. That there's lots of research that indicates that perception or what you expect to see uh, whenever you're under great loads of grief, very difficult. It, you know, it could be as simple as, have you ever cried so hard you, you couldn't see very well? You know, it says there she's, she's weeping. You ever cried that hard, you know, the, that, the, that you, just, you, you just couldn't see? Well, all of this, I think, suggests that, that there certainly is the need for consolation. And then, and then Jesus turns to her and says, Mary. Did, any, did anybody ever use your name in a way that was special? My mom did. Clifford Dean, get in here. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that voice. <laughs> you know, I, 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 when I got that Clifford Dean, that was, whoo, boy, that, I knew who that was. Um, and in East Texas, everybody in my family has two names, Clifford Dean, Michael David, Carrie Glenn, Bobby Jack, Billy Joe, everybody's got two names. I don't know, some weird thing. Do you ever recall your name that meant something? That uh, my grandmother, Meemaw, we called her. Uh, she wasn't rich. She lived in some assisted housing uh, toward the end of her life. And my dad used to say that when they were growing up, they would uh, um, uh, move every time the rent was due. And that wasn't far from the truth. My dad's nickname was Hookie because he did. <laughs> Everybody in the town knew him as Hookie. And everyone at school. He's just goofing around. I grew up with this grandmother. Her name was Madge. But my grandmother, and probably you have some of the similar experience, it wasn't my name that she would say. It wasn't Cliff. But when my grandmother, when I would be sad or needed some comforting, I can still hear it in my head when Meemaw would say to me, child, 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 child. And I'd feel that hand of hers on my shoulder or get hugged up pretty good. And when she died, uh, I remember sitting outside the church because, uh, you know, I didn't want her to go. And uh, while I'm sitting on the curb there in San Angelo, Texas, after this little funeral for this little grandmother that when we went to her house, uh, there was no fighting over the inheritance. There was none. <laughs> a couple of Bibles and a picture I've got in my office that I stole from my cousin and uh, but I put it to good use but I remember sitting out on that curb um, and grieving and I heard my grandmother again child child if you knew where I was now you'd rejoice have you ever um, have you ever had God call your name? I, I don't know how common this is. I'm not suggesting that if you haven't, something's wrong with you. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. But Mary hears something in his voice that immediately communicates something. She knows who he is. I, I don't know. I, I've just, I've just, you know, I don't want to go too sideways here. But I, I spent most of my Christian life to sometimes even to this day at times trying to figure out the voice of God and not the voice of Cliff 
or the voice of shame or the voice of guilt or the voice of you're not good enough. I, I, I think a lot of us, I'm just going to throw you in there with me. When I talk to people honestly and they, or where, they, where, where they feel safe, when they can be honest, so many of us struggle all of our lives to be able to know which voice it is. I know I can fill a room, especially college students and others. I know what I've done, a session on how to know the will of God. Man, everybody wants to know that, right? How do you know when it's God speaking to you? How do you know when it's not the voice of your past? It's not the voice of the religion that's got a hold. It's not the voice of shame that's deeply embedded in you. You know, I've said to you before, I... I've wrestled with this and still do at times. I've got a lot of tapes that run. thing I've discovered, I've said to you before, I'll say it again. There's a couple things. Number one, the voice of God always offers a solution. This is how we can fix this. never a sense of despair, like you're never going to get this fixed, it's never going to work, it's never going to happen, you might as well give up. No, 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 it's going to be specific. The other thing is the voice of God will always, in my judgment as I read, be very specific. God doesn't deal in global guilt. You're just a rotten person. You're just no good. It's always specific. It's clear as crystal. This is something, Cliff, that either I want to commend you on or I want to ask us to deal with. It's that and it's specific. And the third thing, there's always a sense of hope. Becky said to me years ago when we were first married, we were to Dairy Queen. So we were in Texas, right? I mean, there's a Dairy Queen in every town in Texas. I, pro- I dare you to, to defy that. Sort of Dairy Queen. And we'd been married just a little while and Becky was still under the illusion that I understood a lot about theology. She's figured that out over the years. And she said to me one time, she said, Cliff, I, I just, when I fail, I just feel like giving up. And in a, just a moment of clarity, I said, well, who wants you to give up? She said, well, the devil. I said, what are you doing listening to him? Right? Let's get this clear. God does not want you to give up. God does not want you to give up. He wants you to lean in heavier to him. He wants you to lean into him like you never have before. He wants you to quit worrying about him wanting to give up on you and you give up. You lean in to him. But you know what? It'd be nice if all of us could say, I know the voice of God all the time. I'm, I'm leery of people who say God talks to them all the time. You know, God told me to buy this car. God told me to, you know, get this suit. God told me to buy this cheeseburger. You know, I, it gets there. I grew up with guys like that. I'm leery of that. I'm not saying that God isn't interested in the details of our life. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying we can trivialize this to the point that it bothers people even more than the concept that it might help. Look at this also. I want you to look at this. this. This consolation. So part of the consolation is knowing that God knows me 
by name. Does God love the world or does he love you? Does God know everybody in the world or does he know you? For some reason, the past week, this has really been hitting me. Maybe it's part of the prep or like that. But, but when I've gone to prayer in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's been almost overwhelming to say, God, the God of the universe is listening to me. It's almost overwhelming. I told you, the older I'm getting, the less I understand things. It's like it's new. But... But does God love you? Does God know you? Does he know your name? Or are you just part of that big mass of humanity that God knows? I want to look here too at this when he says to her, uh, King James uh, does a, I hate to put King James down a little bit here, but does a, I think a rather poor uh, translation here. It says here, stop clinging to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. And King James says, don't touch me, right? I don't know where I picked this up, but I got it as a kid or I got it in church because I grew up in East Texas and who knows what could happen there. But I looked at this over the years and realized that I was under the impression that Jesus, hey, don't touch me, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Who's heard that? Who's had that impression besides me? Can't be, can't be. I'm going to show you here a second. Don't, don't touch me. I was saying, no, don't touch me. I, there's something much more profound going on here. Listen, the word here in Greek can often be translated cling. Stop clinging. Here's what's happening. Mary is not going to let him get away again. <laughs> she is so frantic now. She's so uh, caught up in this. This isn't, this isn't, don't touch me, don't touch me, I'm holy. It's Relax. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. I'm going to be here. It, it can't be that because later in this chapter, when Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it till I see him, what does Jesus tell Thomas to do? Touch my hands, feel my side. This isn't some problem with touching, this is a problem with feeling abandoned. Abandonment. Mary, relax. I haven't ascended to the Father. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to abandon you. This is the force of this verb. This, this is the force of this idea because it doesn't make sense because Jesus actually asks people to touch him to verify it's me. Somehow we've got in our head though, there's not much consolation when we think this God is so beyond us and so much out there that he can't really relate to us. And I grew up as a kid, I'm just telling you, East Texas, thinking this just meant Jesus was too holy, there's too much going on here, and you can't touch him. Boy, that got embedded in me somewhere. Anybody else? That got embedded in me somewhere that I thought, boy, you better be careful now. This, this consolation that Jesus offers her. I'm not, I'm not untouchable. It's not that you can't be with me. I'm not going to abandon you. I wrote my journal the other day. I was thinking about some stuff and, you know, I, I still struggle like you do. And I thought, sometimes my obedience to God, 
Sometimes my obedience to God is my attempt to guarantee that God won't abandon me. And somehow in my twisted little brain, I think I can control him. Because if I sin or fail or do something stupid, he'll do what? Abandon me. Leave me. I, th- that's been a sort of a painful journey for me the last few years. To say, there's been some of this cliff where your obedience and your willingness to follow Jesus has been really fueled by an abandonment sense. One of my friends says it this way, that, uh, that some of us have the, have the heart or the spirit of an orphan. We've got the heart or the spirit of an orphan. I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying some of us. That we don't really belong, that, that, that we're, like, we're like Mary. Hold on to him, don't let him go. You know, or he'll leave you. He'll bug out. He'll be gone. That's what this word means. It doesn't mean that Jesus is too holy to touch. It doesn't mean that he's, that he's too spiritual. And, you know, if, if she, the impression I got from the preachers I heard was if they touch him, he can't ascend to the Father. It's just crazy. Don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. If you do that, you're going to mess me up. It's not what it means at all. It's abandonment. It's a sense of abandonment. I just want to ask you to consider, is ever your obedience or your commitment to Jesus an attempt to medicate a sense of abandonment or the orphan spirit? It's a hard question to answer. I could show you in my journal where um, I've had to do some real heart work. Real heart work. About the idea that I'm not leaving. Notice what Jesus said to her, said also this this idea of, of consolation. I want you to go tell my brethren, and by the way, we're not going to finish today, so... I know it's a surprise. I, I want you to go tell my brethren. Now think about it. Who are these guys, my brethren? Who are these guys? What have they done in the last couple of days? Huh? Blown it, <laughs> right? Didn't that give you comfort? <laughs> you know? yeah. Who are these guys? I, you know, it, it, sometimes I'll have to call a student in and uh, say, uh, Okay, Einstein. No, I don't do that. <laughs> That's what I think. I'll just say, okay, we got some stuff to deal with here, okay? We got to fix this now. Aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? <laughs> Jesus says, these guys that have blown it, he calls them what? My brothers. Hey, now, listen, you go tell them I'm alive, I'm here. You, you, you go tell them, I'm alive, I'm here, and I'm going to ascend to my father and what? Your father. This is fascinating. To my God and your God. This idea that this consolation of relationship, 
I'm going back to my father who's now your father. Think about that. The father that loves Jesus, the father that sent him, he's now your father. Now, for some of us, that's, you know, that's just old hat. We know that. We get that. But for many people, the notion of father is somewhat foreign. And then, yes, let me say that for the recording. That this idea, we've said it a couple times, the idea of God as father is a brand new idea in Judaism. Okay. I, I scoured, in a book I wrote years ago, I scoured the Old Testament. And there is no use of father, if you will, as a personal relationship between God. The only occurrences are in Exodus where he said, I am a father to you, Israel. Meaning, I brought you into existence. So this idea of God as father is brand new. Remember, they wouldn't even call his name. They wouldn't even speak his name. They wouldn't even pronounce it. And so the word father or the idea of God as father is, is new. Uh, if you want to check this out, there's a guy named Jeremiah or Jeremias, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-S, Jeremias, who said that the single most important truth that Jesus came to teach was that God is Father. Single most important. And again, you know, we've been Christians too long, haven't we? We've heard about God as our Father. It doesn't make any sense to us. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Or it doesn't have any impact like it would. So that Jesus says, I'm going to my Father, who's your Father? I'm going to my God, Who's your God? Yes. Good question. She's asking, why didn't he say going to our father? Um, you're going to, this is per cliff. Okay. From the book of Cliffidicus. <clears throat> so um, it hasn't reached to the, Biblical canon yet, but it's, it's on its way. <clears throat> Personally, I think in this area of consolation, if I say our, I think sometimes that is the orphan heart, the orphan spirit. He's not really my, he's kind of our, you know, my father. My father, your father. My God, your God. I think the use of the pronoun here is important and relates to the notion of this sense of consolation. I, you know, I, this is my own journey, but you know, when I hear about our father, oh yeah, okay, you know. Think about it. When you think about this idea, uh, how many people would say this is our church? There'd be thousands of people. I, mean, we had, I think the last count was, there were 17,000 people that came to church here over the 12 services. It's our church. <clears throat> our church. But when you, when, you, when you ask people about people who are engaged, committed in terms of pushing the wagon, um, uh, involved in um, uh, seeing ministry go forward, that 17,000 gets a little smaller. And so I think Jesus is saying, look, it's, it, it's my father and it's your father. Don't, don't miss this. It's your father. You, you know, this whole thing, um, when I was in seminary, I just thought of this. Maybe it'll fit. Um, when I was uh, learning this, 
30-something years ago. Still learned it. I'm still learning it, though. Okay, don't get me wrong here. Remember, I told you, I, I think this is true for every preacher and every teacher. We all sound like we know God lots better than we do. Okay, so don't be too confused here. I, I sound like I know God lots better than I do. But I remember uh, in working through this, I had this sense, I didn't hear a voice, but I had the sense that, that, that the Father said to me, um, for the next 30 days, I want you to call me Daddy, Abba. Because you know what I pray, I say, dear Lord, dear Heavenly Father, you know, I never said the man upstairs because that was my uncle <clears throat> who lived with us when we were in Houston. But <clears throat> never gave him deity <clears throat> in his life. He, he lived upstairs, but you know. Um, I never went that way, but I was pretty strongly influenced by dear Lord, dear God, dear that. And I remember uh, this kind of my father was a foreign idea to me. And I'm in seminary. And so I had this sense that I'm supposed to pray like this. And I remember saying to God, I, mean, I felt like Abraham. Remember, I didn't know enough of the Bible to know I could argue with God a little bit. Remember when God said to Abraham, if there's 50 people, I'll spare Sodom. He said, how about 40? <laughs> and he got him down to, you know. So I said, look, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. I just thought I'd try it. I said, I don't, I don't think I can say daddy. I never called my own dad daddy. I, I have daddy issues, I think, in terms of that. You know, I told you I was 12 years old before I didn't know my name was, hey, you. <clears throat> and, uh, and his first name wasn't sir. Uh, so I said, I, I, I'll pray and I'll say dad for 30 days. That was that more that I, he's my father. <clears throat> so I remember in the chapel there at, at Asbury Seminary, I would start praying, dear father, Dad, dear, dear dad. And again, that's part of that orphan heart, that orphan spirit that feels like I don't belong. Jesus saying this, I'm going to my father who is your father. Don't miss this. I'm going to my God who's your God. This is this resurrected Jesus saying, look, you, listen to me, <clears throat> listen to me. This is consolation for you, Mary. This is consolation for these guys who've blown it. I'm going to my father. That's your father. Those words have to reverberate in somebody's heart in here to, that has the orphan spirit or has the orphan soul that, <clears throat> that just that says, that's the one thing I need. I need to know that he's not just your father, our father, he's my father. My God and your God. Okay, I told you, <clears throat> we're not going to finish. Wow, one point. We may be through with this by Pentecost. <laughs> Here's a question. My question is about what you said last week. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> Regarding the Trinity being at the crucifixion when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um. Let me finish this up and I'm going to move to that. <clears throat> let, me, let me do this because I do want to honor <clears throat> this, this question here. I want to ask us though, <clears throat> on, the, on the back side of your page is applications, okay? And I've been keeping y'all too long. I got in trouble the other day, so um, <clears throat> I got to let you out. Um, I, you know, they said, you have 40 minutes. I said, I can clear my throat for 40 minutes, you know. <laughs> Come on, give me some time here. Um, 
in terms of applic, I thought we'd get further than this, but we didn't, but that's okay. <clears throat> we got some other good stuff coming. Um, in terms of <clears throat> application, the area of consolation that you need, how can we apply that? I've got a couple ideas, <clears throat> but I want to hear you. What can we do this week? I'm a, what I'm fearful of, I've been looking at my notes, I'm fearful that I put an application down, you read it, and I'm not sure that really means anything to people. I want it to, but yeah. Okay. So, so in the midst of sorrow or difficulty that we face, that we turned to our Father, that He cares about that. How could we do that? Could could you do that at the beginning of the day, the end of the day? I'm trying to think specifically. How can we turn? <clears throat> oh, thank you. You want me to have two of these? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> how could we do that? In the midst of our difficulty, nobody's got any difficulty, right? So we forget that in the day. <clears throat> In the midst of our difficulty, how can we turn to, I think we need to do something specific here. I mean, pinch yourself, <clears throat> pull yourself by the ear. What? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is turn to God to say, in the midst of my trouble, my difficulty, I'm turning to you. I'm going to have to do some more turning during the week. Like that? Yeah. How about this? I, one other thing too is this. I'd like for some of us in here, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I never know. I'm just trying to follow what I sense. It may be that some of you have grief and sorrow and it's clouded your vision like Mary. You know, you, in what, you can't see through your tears. You can't see through your tears. She couldn't, she didn't expect him. That, that's part of it. But if you're going through some grief or difficulty, would you do this? Would, would you say, okay, because in the story, even though she doesn't know he's there, is he there? Huh? Still there, right? So in the, in the coming week or time, if you have, like you said, Annette, what you're talking about, some of our grief, I want to ask you to do this. Out loud. I think it's important. I think we do too many things in our head and it never gets into our muscles or into our voice. I want you to say this in the midst of that. I may not be able to see him, but he's here. Okay? I may not be able to see him, but he's here. And I want you to say it out now, you know, say it out loud where they don't take you to the hospital. <laughs> when they say, who's here? <laughs> you know, I may not see him, but he's here. Okay, <laughs> we need you to see somebody. I'm just saying, say it out loud. We, we do too much in here, in our head. So in the sorrow, in the difficulty, okay? Third thing, how can we, how can we, if you will, live out the consolation here that Jesus knows your name? What are you going to do about that? I think you know, he does, doesn't he? He knows your name. I have specific Bible verses that speak to me that I have taken back and interpreted, and I've got some in okay. my heart 
specific Bible verses she says that, that helps her whenever she's throughout her day, she sees them and reads them, Walt? Jeremiah says our names are written in the palm of his hand. Exactly. And Jer it says, my name is on the palm of my hand. Your name is on the palm of my hand. I forget the reference. But in Psalm, your name is engraved upon my hands. Look it up, Google it. That's why I'm having you guys work with me here. My na your name is engraved. There's a great hymn by Charles, Charles Wesley that says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. It's an incredible, incredible Methodist hymn. It's called Arise My Soul, Arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy half be appears. My surety before his throne stands. My name is written on his hands. So do this this week. Write your name on your hand. Go back to junior high. <clears throat> Write your name on your hand somewhere. And during the week, it reminds you, Jeremiah, Psalms, and maybe this Psalm, if you want song, if you look it up, that your name is on his hand. It's written there where he sees it. Finally, finally, you know, <clears throat> you made here in this area of, uh, of, the orphan soul or the orphan heart. I, I just want to lift that. Thanks, Chris. But I just want to kind of lift this out to you that you may need to face like I have or others face that that's part of this mix here of why consolation is difficult for you to receive. You just may have to lean into this to say, I have an orphan spirit or an orphan soul. It feels like I don't belong. I don't, I'm not good enough. Now, you, you probably need to talk to somebody about that. Another Christian, another, another person. There are lots of pastors on staff here that uh, could, could help you, talk to you. One of, the, one of the books I always recommend on this, and I, and I, and I still do, is a guy named Floyd McClung, M-C-C-L-U-N-G, Floyd McClung, and it's called The Father Heart of God. Floyd's worked in Amsterdam and all around the world where he talks about working with people who have this orphan soul, this orphan. It works with youth, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. It's called The Father Heart of God. Uh, he worked with hundreds and thousands of people who are afflicted with this orphan heart, and it's called The Father Heart of God. Of God. Another book, real quick, I would recommend for you in this. It's called Tired of Trying to Measure Up. Tired of Trying to Measure Up. One of the features of the orphan heart or the orphan spirit is a performance based Christianity. The orphan heart, the orphan soul cannot receive consolation. The only way the orphan heart and the orphan soul is required is through performance. If I can perform enough, if I can do enough, if I'm good enough, I'll be acceptable. Tired of trying to measure up. Incredible. Okay, I'm gonna finish with this. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Dale. Isaiah 49, 16. I love technology. Isaiah 49, 16. Um, 
let, let me just say on this on last week. I just want to say this again. This is an, a, a fa- fundamental principle about the Trinity, if you will, at the crucifixion. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The Trinity's there. God has not abandoned Jesus because Jesus is God in the Trinity. Second, in Colossians, it says, God was pleased for all his fullness to dwell in Jesus, Colossians 1. God was pleased that all the fullness of God would dwell in Jesus. That raises all kinds of problems. Because when you say the fullness of God, the fullness of God, because we have power ideas about God, that doesn't even make sense. I want to suggest to you that this God that we're talking about in the scriptures is not known by his power, but is known by his morality. He is supremely good and supremely love. So all of God dwelling in him. It's not a power issue. He's the moral God in the universe. So I don't think there's any way that you can separate Jesus out of the Trinity at the cross unless you do great violence to the Trinity. You break it up. In fact, if they've deserted or left one another. If you want to listen, uh, two weeks ago, I did a little more uh, work on that, uh, if you will. Um, um, uh, uh, two weeks ago. Um, one other one here. Uh, to begin uh, to notice consolations. Here's a good point. To begin to notice consolations through the day, you can practice the examine. E-X-A-M-I-N. Is anybody familiar with the examine? The examine is a way to pray. Uh, uh, it's the idea of at the end of the day, You begin to go through your day to say, where was God? Where did I see him working? Where did I I see him operate in my life? Sometimes you say, okay, here's where I blew it. Here's where I missed it. It's okay. There's no shame here. But to practice the examine, E-X-A-M-I-N. It's the uh, spiritual practice of St. Ignatius. If any of you uh, have any interest in that, there's a book out there called The Simple Way to Pray, The Simple Way to Pray. I want to end this, and we'll, we'll do some more of this. I want, I want you to be thinking um, each week as we come here. I want to talk about at the end about some application here. Because again, if we talk about this stuff and listen about this stuff, if there isn't some kind of we're going to apply it, do something. And I want it to be specific, whether it's speaking out loud, whether it's when the sun's coming up or going down and saying that, whether it's writing on your hand your name, or it's talking to somebody that you can talk to them about this orphan spirit or heart. Do something. You'll be amazed at what begins to happen when we begin to apply what we're doing. That makes more space for the Spirit of God to work, okay? I'm just telling you, when you begin to apply it, when you begin to do something about it, it creates some more space for God's Spirit to work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up our hearts and eyes to you. And we see in you the one who is the consolation of Israel. That's one of the names that was made of you. That was in the Old Testament. They they referred to when the consolation of Israel would come. You are not only the consolation to the nation. You're not only the consolation to uh, the, the, the group of people called Christians. You're the consolation to us as individuals. So would you help us this week? 
to receive, to accept, to engage in this consolation that comes from you, from your concern about us. Help us to believe it. This is where the gospel is such good news, it sounds stupid. That this is such good news, it sounds crazy. And so, Lord, I'm convinced that until it sounds crazy enough, it probably isn't the gospel. So the good news, the, 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 the calculation, the adding up of the resurrection is not just, okay, you rose from the dead and isn't that wonderful? But it means that we can receive real consolation in our sorrow and our difficulty. We give this to you. We trust you. We look to you for this. And may you work in our lives and make space for it in ways that astound us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.